I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show it's almost like i get this front row seat Mm -hmm. to all of these careers taking off that i absolutely love and i'm absolutely a fan of and that's when people are like oh well literary culture is dying because of the internet i'm like go suck a dick (laughs) you're so wrong so many, so many, so many damn books. Welcome. Hello. Welcome to this episode of uh, So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And in the studio, in the library today, we have Isaac Fitzgerald. He's the BuzzFeed Books Editor, the co-founder of the Tumblr and Book series, Pen and Ink, a collection of literary tattoos. And he's also an essayist in his own right. Uh you might bristle at this, Isaac, but I'm going to call you like a millennial AJ Jacobs. <laughs> I bristled so hard. <laughs> uh, Welcome. Christopher and Drew, thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast. This yeah. is so cool. Yeah, man, it's very exciting. I'm going to open up with my recipe for the drink that we're oh, drinking, yeah. which is uh, I'm calling it the ink blot. And it's um, a little bit of sugar, blackberry and lemon shaken with ice and gin. And then uh, poured into a glass of Prosecco. Don't worry, Mom. It's, uh, it's all non-alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's partially because I, I was looking through your um, BuzzFeed books history. And you have a collection of champagne cocktails from like three years ago. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a New oh, Year's Oh, that's thing. right. I've had several of those. They're all very good. Before we talk to Isaac about the Isaac Fitzgerald of it all. Um, let's talk about what you buy. Oh, yeah. Um, wait, wait. Listen for the new theme. Yeah. The... Is... Oh, it's so good. Okay. I bought two things in the last two weeks. One of them is actually an Isaac Fitzgerald suggestion. Uh, and it's technically not out just yet, but it's Alexandra Kleeman's uh, You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine. That book is so fucking good. The other one is one of my favorite authors, China Mieville. His YA book, Rail Sea. Oh, yeah, uh, the one that's based on Moby Dick a little bit. Yep. Uh, I'm excited to read that. I know nothing other than it's Moby Dick and it's Mieville, and there's moles involved. So. Have you read Moby Dick? Have you read Moby Dick? Yes. I haven't read Moby Dick. I haven't. I love that honesty, guys. I'm intrigued. Like, literally, it was just on the faith of this author. You just love him. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, here it is. Is it like a futuristic retelling? Yeah. He uh, he does largely, I will call it speculative fiction. A lot of it is like sci-fi fantasy, but he just... Right. It's not a boat. It's a train, right? Yeah. It's a train on some weird planet. And the instead of, uh, it's like a, called a moldy warp, but it's some sort of gigantic mole. Mm-hmm. Instead of a whale, that's yeah. so interesting. Have that you guys good. have you guys ever seen somebody made like a fake preview for a space Moby Dick? Oh. Go look it up. I, I wish I could remember the name. I hope you can edit. I in hope like that's the a name. real movie. It, yeah. No, that's the thing. Is it's not. It it's has, just like see, but two and a half minutes might be long enough for that idea, it, right? Oh, no, all right. <laughs> you're being honest, and you're being, that's very smart. But I'm not joking. It's like obviously, it's like space prisoners. On a spaceship, like going cool. into like Jupiter because the gas, gas yeah. plant, and it's just like as if there were giant things inside. I've the had gas. that dream. <laughs> <laughs> I had asked it last week, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> um, that's so awesome. Uh, uh, what have you, or do you ask me now? I'm, I'll go, and then you can go yeah. last. The guests can, you know, round it out. All right, you're you're gonna back clean up. 
Uh, I bought That One Summer by Mariko Tamaki and Jillian Tamaki. It won the Caldecott. It's a, it's a graphic novel, young adult also. Um, I, I'm always interested in the Caldecott. And this one, it's, I think, one of the very first graphic novels that ever won it. And it's a really beautiful sort of muted purple cover. And I've been interested in it. And then it won an award. So that sort of tipped me over into finally buying it. And then um, I bought this Europa uh, book called Mayumi and the Sea of Happiness by Jennifer Tsang. Oh, I have that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's about a librarian like... Um, I think she's in her early 40s and she falls in love with a 17-year-old man. And uh, I'm excited to read it because, you know. So I, these are books that we have on our like to-read list but not have read. Right, and yeah. stuff you got this yeah, All recently. Right. So do you guys remember the book The Department of Speculation? Oh, yeah, yeah. Jenny Offel. Super good. I just picked up a book and I'm not... Fuck. I feel like I should like take oh, a pause and like. Is it the uh, something of speculation, Erica Swiler? Yes. Oh, book the of book speculation. Of, the book. That's it. It's the book of speculation. So it's so funny. I had a coworker who I love very much, and her name is Kate's. And she like this is one of the best things about working at BuzzFeed is because I come from such a literary like contemporary fiction background. Um, but I'm surrounded by people who obviously some of them very much love literary contemporary fiction, but some of them are like massively intelligent when it comes to nonfiction or some of them love YA, you know, blind spots that I have. And so it's really nice because they can like recommend. And so this woman, Kate, for the longest time, because the book I think came out in like late June, was just like, Isaac, you have to read the book of speculation. Isaac, the book of speculation. Isaac, oh my God, the book of speculation. And I was like, girl, I know. I've been putting the Department of Speculation on all my best of lists. I love the Department of Speculation. It's fine. And she was like, wait, I think you're saying a different title. And I'm like, no, it's the same. Like for the longest time, I thought it was the same book. And then I realized she was talking about this. Like it's kind of a YA book. Do you know it? Have you read it? I own a galley of it. I'm excited about it. Well, so this, I'm not joking. Like Kate's, let me just to put it, I'm sorry, not to just do funny voices. Let's put Kate's and <laughs> let's give her a three dimensional personality. She, uh, she is the woman that found the dress. So when it was white or gold, black or blue. Oh, she's the oh she's she's the woman that had that eye. Literally a Tumblr person just submitted to BuzzFeed and was like, What color is this dress? So it was submitted to her. She didn't like find it out there. And she had the smarts to put it up and then blew up the world. Can I ask what it what does she think? She of the dress? Yeah. I actually wish I knew that answer, but I don't know. What did you guys think? I think what she knows what she feels really is shame <laughs> i think she carries i think i think just like somebody who has like won a massive war like if we're gonna talk like ya <laughs> yeah. style like imagine like ender's game yeah like she is that's how she feels like she destroyed the internet and uh and she now just has to walk day to day <laughs> knowing that she is the woman that blew that up i for the record saw black and blue i also saw black and blue yeah but it's black and blue okay oh wow book lovers for ba- black and blue I love that. And in my opinion, Argonauts is the book of the summer. Mm. That's I said that back in May. And now having lived through the entire summer and <laughs> seen all these other great, there are incredible books. There's so many great books, books that I'm huge fans of. But, um, but the Argonauts by Maggie Nelson, in my opinion, book of the summer. Wait, this is a fun question based off what we were just talking about. Christopher and I have talked about this a lot. Mm on and off the podcast, book covers. Mm-hmm. Do you judge books by their cover? Absolutely. I think it really matters. Yeah, I agree. Um, do I judge? Or like, do you not necessarily judge in terms of good right, or bad, right, but like talk, a good cover is going to make you pick up a thing that you wouldn't have. So I can speak to this from a little bit of personal experience in two different ways. One, I got to work at McSweeney's, which was like, just a goddamn dream yeah to see what goes into design um and the guy like the head of design right now is this guy named dan and there's like just like a bunch of other just like wonderful 
wonderful people there and and they they put a lot of thought in it. And it's interesting too to see like every year like the book design awards come out and they're always up there as they deserve yeah. to be. It's McSweeney's yeah. and FSG just all the way down. Yo, yeah. <laughs> FSG Originals too, yeah. right? Like yeah. FSG Originals Ugh, does they, some great. They steal my heart. They're, Are they're you like kidding a, me? They're like, like a tiny publisher and they got like six out of the 30 or six out of the 50 in the... In on the, the New York Times one? No, the last no, one? Whatever, oh, on the, the awards. Yeah, the book cover awards. I know oh, what you're talking about. This is this is we should open up a a, a laptop and have a Google <laughs> open too because like there was I was like Dan is one of the designers I was like there's this other kid that I also love but I couldn't remember his name. Anyway, okay, it's a conversation. We're not supposed to know all of it. You're right. You're right. <laughs> the cover Catherine Fall Morris's. Mm-hmm. She wrote yeah, Young, Young God. God. That was last year. So we're talking about you know for the listeners. This is sorry guys if you're all about the 2015 books. This is an older book. It's 2014. Uh but it's such a wonderful book. But the cover is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the book is fucking amazing. You I interviewed I, her for FSG, right? Yeah. I will I will back that book until my heart pumps nothing but air and dust. Like I actually <laughs> think it's a really great book. But uh there's something to be said for really good cover design. And mm-hmm. I do. I think I agree with you. FSG Originals does it, McSweeney's does it really well. And so I think it can make or break, to be honest. And mm-hmm. I speak the other part of personal experience I speak from is pen and ink. So I did my tattoo book, and my original idea, I was like, guys, 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 guys. <laughs> what if Wendy McNaughton, the illustrator, who's incredible, and mm-hmm. she's like, if anything, 80% of the book and like the beating heart of the project. I was like, what if she drew like little flash tattoos? Like when you go into a tattoo parlor, the stuff on the wall is called flash. What if she just drew like little butterflies, little panthers, little, and then she drew really ornate golden frames around them. And then we put that on the book. No, no jacket. Just put it as a wrap around, around the book. Just all these different flash with giant ornates. And it's like making flash tattoos like art. (laughs) And Wendy actually drew a mock-up, and the marketing people were like, oh, my God, you are so insane. Like, what is this? A book about frames? Like, Um. what? And when I saw it, I won't lie, I absolutely loved it. Um. And that's why there's a marketing and publicity team to be like, absolutely not, you (laughs) stupid idiot. And so, and then we got this wonderful cover that I absolutely love, which is a giant anchor. Um, though my one note was that one of the hearts at the as the anchor comes to its tip, there's two hearts, and I was like, one of them has to be cracked. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. You, um, I think you, you have the moniker of a champion of books. Uh, some people, or I think might have been cheerleader. Champion sounds like really important. Will Chancellor kind of put that to me. (laughs) Friend of of the show, Will Chancellor. Um, He's but you're a champion of books. You're you when you came on to uh, BuzzFeed Books, there was a lot of hullabaloo about you being positive and nice about books. Like you wanted to talk about the books you loved, which I, I we've adopted for the show as well. We also want to talk about books we love. But I'm curious, when a book lets you down. Do you do you ever kind of wish that you had the your pulpit to talk about when a book lets you down? Wow. That's a really good question. That is actually that's fine. That's not where I thought that question was going. Really, <laughs> most people ask me, so how do you feel about that now? <laughs> uh, do I <clears throat> to be absolutely honest, no. Because I think my silence says what I want to say huh. about the book. So, a good example of that is, and this might get me in trouble, but I'm just going to talk, is Ghost at a Watchman. Mm-hmm. We didn't do a mini review. We have a newsletter where we review the books that we really love. If we really care about a book, it's going to make it into our review. Or I'm going to do what I started seriously as a joke, but has actually taken off, my six-second book reviews. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. those. Too. Right. Well, thank you, which is amazing to me. Like That means a lot to me because that's where I get to sometimes review the weirder books that I love that maybe um, can't make it into like more of our mainstream coverage, which actually, that's bullshit. I'm going to call myself out on that. That's not true. <laughs> Those books make it into our lists as well. But like the real thing is that's where a book that I love ends up, either in the newsletter or in the six-second book reviews. And you'll like, I'm never going to review Ghost at a Watchman. 
Mm. Um, we covered it because it was a huge story. Mm-hmm. But you, I, I, you know, fact check me on this, but I think if you look, you could notice that many other outlets had like 20 stories on it. Yeah. And I probably had like two, one of which was kind of a roundup of here's what the great literary critics, because I respect and love critics. Mm-hmm. And I was like, here's what they made of it. And I'll leave the reader to like to to view it. But for us, we never were going to really cover it because that's what happens when you, I don't love a book or our reader. Like, don't get me wrong. If somebody on staff is like, I love this book and I'm like, I hate it, then we can fight about it. But nine times out of ten, I'm probably going to let them cover it because they love it. Right. But when it comes to Ghost Set of Watchmen, I just felt like it was a disappointing book. Mm-hmm. And so that's my pulpit, though, is not to take. I guess that's like the book's world, in my opinion. There's so many people that do have pulpits and granted, maybe not as big as mine, mm-hmm. but they will take to them to be like, this book is trash. Now, if a book is by like a very well-known author and it is being heralded as like the second coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree with that, and I know other people don't agree with it, and it's kind of an emperor's new clothes, or like the mm-hmm. emperor's got right. new clothes on. That is, I, I won't lie, like that's, I'm a big believer in rules are made to be broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I would absolutely, like if something crazy was going on where everyone was jumping on a bandwagon, that might be the one time where I'm just like, oh, you know what? I said I was going to be nice, but actually I want to burn this bandwagon to the ground. Mm-hmm. I might try for that. But, Nine times out of ten, other people are going to take care of it, and I just need to say nothing. That's my coverage. That's my that's my way of saying I don't appreciate a book is I don't cover it. The mm-hmm. BuzzFeed coverage actually of of Ghost of Watchmen, I already like. I went from that place of being like, all right, let's see what you do, uh, BuzzFeed with your cat photos with books, mm-hmm. and just it has grown in my estimation every single day. Like it's it's. It's anymore it's my go-to place for you like the personal essays from authors like when, yeah. when lev grossman wrote that God, wonderful yeah. post about failing at writing a a, a novel incredible i yeah. mean it's, uh, to this day one of my favorite things i've published not just at buzzfeed books just in my life i won't lie mm. that's i send that essay to everyone when somebody's like hey what should i shoot for and I was like, shoot for this <laughs> the stars yeah. and, and, and it was amazing <laughs> and he debuted uh and this is not anything related to the essay, but he debuted at number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. And I'm going to say that again. I don't think that has anything to do with the fact that he published an essay on BuzzFeed books. That said, his editor and publicists did go around saying that. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I got a lot more submissions, which was huge Very for me. Cool. Because yeah. like you said, Very you cool. just, you just mentioned when you started, it's like, Oh, let's see what this website does with books. Um, it was a hard, it was a hard sell, especially early on to get authors to submit their writing to our site. Yeah. And now now it's, I mean, people are stoked to be involved, which is great. But Lev Grossman was one of the first, like, really, Roxanne Gay's another one, mm-hmm. just, like, broke through, like, our usual audience, and people loved it outside of the site. An- another dear friend of the show. Uh, has she been on? No, not Roxanne Gay. No, but Lev. Uh, Lev yeah, has. Lev's been on. I love him. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think I've met him in person, but he just seems like a solid, yeah. solid dude. Uh, and that essay is so good. Yeah. To change gears a little bit, um, what's the most rewarding part of uh, pen and ink? Oof. Um, I mean the money. But <laughs> <laughs> no, that's well, that's that's the funny thing. Uh, is books are hard, man. And I can just speak. This is fun. I love when I get to talk about the stuff that's not related to the place where I work because that's usually what people are interested in. Um, but pen and ink, I can speak totally freely. Uh, and I'm so happy with how that book turned out. I think it is really good. I'm obviously biased. I <laughs> fucking made it. <laughs> Wendy McNaughton. And she, to be honest, like she, that's when I say that, I'm really in just awe and appreciation of her work. And what she did is so stunning. Um, and they printed like 20,000 copies. Mm-hmm. And I think it sold like 10. Mm-hmm. 10,000 copies is actually a shit ton for a book. Yeah. But when you print 20, it's a flop. Mm-hmm. And it's this interesting thing for me to get that side of it. Like I've always 
I've always loved books. I've been in the book internet for many, many years now. I've been in a publishing house, but like to like watch a book and see what happens when a book goes out there and what it means to be successful or to be a failure. Like he got tons of coverage. Um, but at the end of the day, and I'm really excited. It led to Knives and Ink. So we're doing yeah. another book. And like, what more can you ask for? Is right. that somebody like gives you the keys to the car and is like, oh, you, you crashed that last car, but you can just, you know, here's an, you, we got a new, we got a new hood on it. Good luck. Try it again. <laughs> and so that's really exciting. Um, but it, it, it's, it was also like um, a moment of, I mean, you know, you have Cheryl Strait as the introduction. So cool. Yeah. You have, yeah, right. All this cool stuff. And, uh, and I think I would have, 500 friends right now if they were in this room petting me on the back and be like no 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 it's fine no it was really good don't worry about it and like my publisher would definitely be like no that was that's actually a lot of copies sold don't sweat it but at the end of the day like you know how many got made and you know how many sold and you know what it means to not sell out right yeah and that's a tough it's mm -hmm. a tough situation so i'm really happy uh i get to talk with tattoos with people to answer the question sorry that was a very roundabout i get to talk <laughs> tattoos with people that's the part i love um, but it's also been a really interesting experience as like a bookmaker. Mm. You also have some of the coolest tattoos. I also have really bad ones. <laughs> I have a Celtic tree of life on my shoulder, which is like literally if you go to like anywhere outside of Boston, like Worcester, Massachusetts, yep. you'll see like 12 year olds wearing a T-shirt. I was one of those 12 year olds. And the branches, they come down and the roots they go up and they make a celtic knot mm. around this branch and inside that's what i have on the inside and on the outside is a tribal sun mm -hmm. which is basically like the cover of a godsmack album <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first tattoo and i will live with that for the rest of my life mm -hmm. um and i have some 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 like disaster tattoos but that said i actually love all of them like even if they're super trashy <laughs> <laughs> uh but i want to so uh like i said i wanted to change gears again oh yeah i'm like a mountain bike over here i like it um good analogy. how many speeds 18 man hey 21. <laughs> nah, 21 he's 21 he's got shocks on the front <laughs> uh do you, at, at, with your again, because you you you're a gatekeeper at this point, and I'm, I, do you, would you agree in some ways? No, I don't think the gate exists. But we can get into that. Like I have a huge philosophy about how awesome the internet is. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> like I really that's true. I really like FSG Originals was started, and like Sean McDonald is one of my favorite editors, and he's incredible. the head of it. Yeah, he has incredible. His list is insane. I mean, he did fucking Juno Diaz. Oscar Wow, but he also did uh, one of, in my opinion, my a million, a million little pieces, which to this no, day I'm so I'm gonna I like I I love good. that book. Yeah. yeah, it's a great. It is book. my favorite book about addiction. It is my <sighs> favorite, and it got that book got so screwed by weird. But it price. didn't because it made so oh. much money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, now he's got that weird like. Well, that's a whole other James thing. Patterson that, press, and that I actually don't know about. But I will say that a million little pieces, and I've met him, and in my opinion, like just from meeting guy. I thought he was a good dude, but a million little pieces is great. Sean McDonald's great, but FSG Originals the only reason it exists, right? Right. It's because of McSweeney's. Right. Yeah. The only, that's all that was. FSG was like, look at these cool kids on the West Coast. Let's answer that. And other smaller presses are doing this other stuff as well. And that was their answer to that. So there's so much small press going on right now. I love it all so much. And I fucking believe in my bones that the only reason why it all exists is because of the internet. Mm -hmm. Because without the internet, you start a small press in Who the middle of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. And nobody finds out about it. And maybe you have a hit. Right. If you're really but, goddamn lucky. I'm sorry, but there's no binary star by Sarah Gerard and $2 Radio at all mm -hmm. without, without the, the internet. internet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I fucking love $2 Radio. Yeah. And I love the risks that they take. Colin Winnett. Like, oh, man. I, that book is so cool. It's, <laughs> that's the weird thing about it is like people are like, should I read this? And I'm like... What are you into? <laughs> like that's the only but like most books I can grab somebody and be like, yes, you should read this. Wait, and that book's the title for our listeners. Uh, I'm sorry. Haints so Stay. It's Haints Stay. Okay. Which is not a tough to be title to not say. to be mistaken with Saints Day 
uh-huh. or Haints Stay, which I won't lie, I did a six uh, or Haints Stay. I did which a six second review, a... and I think if you listen to it really close, I fucked up the title. <laughs> um, but it's such a fuck. It's an acid trip of a weird western, and I didn't even get into it in the six second review. Like I'm just like, oh, it's a boy, and like you know, like some bounty hunters. But it doesn't get even get into like there's like gender issues. It's like such a cool, unique book. Yeah. But there's no way that gets traction without the internet. Like, there's no way. And that's why I love the internet. Sorry, you're trying to get it. Uh, so I had a question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> how old world media, Christopher? Yeah. Uh, it's a uh, do, oh. y- <laughs> <laughs> do you do you feel a responsibility to find unheard voices or authors or uh, and, and if so, you know, who? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, and it does. It ties it ties to what you just asked me. Do I see myself as a gatekeeper? Um yes. The 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 straightforward answer is absolutely. Um but my honest answer is is tying on to that absolutely that when I was at a smaller place. When I was at the rumpus. Um, or even, you know, even before that, right? Like, I feel like that's the best. The best thing a person can do is give you a book and say, hey, man, check this out. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's, I've, I've said this in other interviews. This is my, that's what I view my role. Mm-hmm. I just happen to have a gigantic fucking megaphone, and I'm really lucky that I have it. But my number one job is to be like, hey, dude, check this out. That said, and if I discover if I if I if I'm lucky enough, to be honest, that's another thing. Like, right? Like I'm not a book set, I'm not a publisher. I'm not reading manuscripts. I'm reading galleys. I'm reading things that have already kind of come into the gate. Like, would I love to discover a voice? Like that's I mean, I think that's every editor's dream. Cause and we're also talking about two different things right now, right? There's me running BuzzFeed books and then there's me as an editor. Mm-hmm. And like, of course. Um, and that actually ties into Kathleen Alcott. Uh, who's Infinite Home. It's her second book now. But I was actually one of the first people to publish her writing. I got, that was a unique opportunity for me that actually doesn't happen that often. I got to discover somebody's writing. I got to see it raw. And I got to be one of the first people that brought it to other readers. Mm -hmm. And that's, that. I mean, to be honest, that's, in my opinion, it's one of the best things you can possibly do. So now, on the level that I'm at, with trying not to sound like a piece of shit. I actually think like I do have everything filtered. Mm-hmm. Like I am reading $2 radio. I am reading Grey Wolf. Of course. Like God, they've been on such a yeah. good run. Mm-hmm. I am reading Melville House. Mm-hmm. I am reading the small. And that's like like when we can get behind the ghost network. Shit, yeah. that meant the world to me. Like, of course, that like was like yes, but it's not gonna happen the way that I live my life right now. That I'm gonna like stumble across somebody on the street with a manuscript, and I'm just like, this is the mm-hmm. next great American novel. That's like totally unfiltered. Right. So, I do try to herald independent presses. Mm-hmm. I do try to get voices heard by a larger audience. But if it comes down to discovering new voices, and I'm being completely honest, I think I used to get to do that. And I miss it. Mm-hmm. I do. I miss it. Like, I miss being able to just be like, at the rump, is, it could just be like, oh, shit, Kathleen Alcott, this is a cool thing. Let's throw it up on the internet, see what happens. And I don't get to do that anymore. And, and also, you have to be part of the larger conversation as well. You can't, you can't miss talking about, you know, Franzen or, or any of the bestseller people Right. You yeah, gotta, there you becomes gotta, a. It's it almost feels like there's an obligation at a certain point where now you've gotten big enough that like oh, if we have X many, whatever the internet equivalent of column inches is, mm-hmm. but like we are gonna have to cover either this really cool little book or this thing that everybody is talking about that they're right. expecting us to weigh in on. Well, right. so one, I do. One I of can the three say articles this, which on I'm Ghost actually, Watchmen. I'm actually really lucky. Yeah. So the Ghost <laughs> Head Watchmen is actually a really right. good example. BuzzFeed actually doesn't force me. And cool. That's very a lot cool. of a lot of people ask me about this, like how, like what. To be honest, the freedom there is incredible. Cool. 
And so when I say that, when I say that, so like, oh, I can't discover, it's really about where I'm at hmm. with my readership. That is not a limit put on me. Because actually, BuzzFeed really has just been like, hey, man, here's the keys of the fucking car. <laughs> And and to be honest, it was a rocky start. It was a it was a ro- I did not do that well out of the gate, but now we've kind of I feel like I've really kind of figured it out, and they've always been pretty supportive. Mm. But it really, it's just to myself. Like it's it's almost I miss talk like right here. I am talking to you guys. Like I miss being a little younger, mm-hmm. and I miss going out to bars or going out to readings all the time, or like going and like that's where you meet. Like Jenny Zhang, yeah. Oh, Do you know Jenny so Zhang? Cool. She's so yeah. cool, right? Jenny, Jenny Bagel Zhang on used to be my fucking boss. No joke. <laughs> like Jenny Zhang and I worked together way, way back in the day, and like now she is this like such a cool thing. But like I used to read those poems when they were like printed out on from Word into a printer, <laughs> like you know. And she's like the hippest, motherfucking coolest thing in the world. And so I do miss, there is a part of me that's like that. I miss it, but I also think it's right, right? That's for electric literature. Mm-hmm. That's for a smaller, like that's a smaller place with a with a keener eye is going to find that. And my what I view my job, at least, is like the thing is you and me can say James Hanahan right now, and we all know. We can say Paul Beatty right now, and we all know. Like Roxanne Gay, all right, kind of breaking through, absolutely. But for the most part, the authors we know, the mass audience doesn't know, and right. that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to boost the fuck out of them. All of this does, in a lot of ways, feel like it's leading up to talking about one of the books that you have been yeah. pulping a lot recently. Yeah, and you uh, you told us to read it, and thank thank you. You uh, liked it. Oh and my this god! Is, and we're talking about Kathleen Alcott's Infinite Home. All right. Anyways, but yes, Infinite Home, which I think was a bold choice to put Infinite in a title. Oh yeah, sure. especially with the current climate of uh, of um, the end of the tour out now, which she couldn't have known when they right. were going to publish it when they're setting the date. But it's it's a bold title. It's a it's a great book, and it's this um just to give a capsule uh, plot of it. It's it's just the lives of these. Um, these people live in a Brooklyn brownstone, and and it's uh, the landlord is an old woman who's owned the building for a long time, and there's a bunch of people that live there, and you sort of are following how they came to the building, how they connect, how they don't connect, and one of the really awesome, wonderful things about it is it's very short little chapters and you just check in with everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you keep checking in. And it's almost like you're just walking up and down a, a brownstone and knocking on doors and saying like, so what's up, Edward? <laughs> How's your stand-up career? Which in like a weird way, I never thought in a million years I would ever mention this book in a positive light. Uh, there's a book called Life, a User Manual by George Perec, who's okay. a French author. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the idea is that it, it spins through um, an apartment building in France and it checks into every room. So like living rooms, closets, everywhere in the course of like a single minute. And it's sort of a like stultifyingly boring book after a certain, once the <laughs> stick wears off. But like this is the cool version of that where you, you spin through these rooms and you sort of check in with these people and get to have like these flashbulb moments especially in the first half as it leads into the the loose plot there is a plot but also half the joy of this book is just these characters and getting to live with them for a while it's a super character driven book absolutely uh that's so cool i had not i had not thought about that this is this is also one of my favorite things about this book is that i feel like and that's why i almost want it to be read by so many people because I think there are so many different interpretations. I had never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. The check-in, like the knocking on the door. That is that never occurred to me while I was reading it, but the second you said it, it seemed so true. Um, Kathleen was in discussion at the Powerhouse Arena with a woman whose name is escaping me, and I feel really dumb about that, but she, uh, she was one of the five under 35. Valeria Lucelli. So for her... She was like, this book is so clearly about displacement 
and about huh. how like people are moved out of their homes, how you try to keep your home, mm-hmm. what it means to find a home. And it was interesting to me because that was her reading. And, and she was almost like, this is like an anti-capitalist screed, which I never like for me, I didn't see that in it at all. Like that never came. But the second again, just like you're saying, oh, you go from door to door. I'm like, oh, yes, absolutely. The second she said that, I was like, oh, that's actually very true. Yeah. I just hadn't had that deep of a thought. So, like, it's a book that has, not to, like, butcher a metaphor, basically, but a million ways into it, mm-hmm. which is interesting because it starts on such a hard note that we've talked about. Yeah, no, the, it's... I. I for people that are go- are going to check this out in a bookstore or on a shelf and and see if they want to read it the first 5 pages are are difficult yeah uh, there's seven characters there's something crazy going on there's like also that first later. page of like a year in the future yeah. of when the story st- and you're just so, it, it's very disorienting it's very disorienting and and it's enough to be like well i guess i won't ever understand that and you put it down and don't do that because like 5 pages after that beginning it slows down and it goes into each character very slow. But again, those those chapters are short. They're like a lot of them are two, three pages long. Well, so and not to keep on with the metaphor thing. So Kathleen Alcott actually wrote an essay for us at BuzzFeed Books, which is oh. absolutely like heart rendingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And one of my things at BuzzFeed is like using the tools that I've learned at BuzzFeed to make things reach a broader audience. And a lot of that is headlines. Mm -hmm. Um, And not to fall down a little rabbit hole, but like a lot of people are like, oh, like beware of clickbait. I know what clickbait is. I used to work at Alternet. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Fox News. (laughs) But for the left online, I was like 26. It was like the year Obama got elected. And when Sarah Palin, I was like, Eight more shocking things you didn't know about Sarah Palin. <laughs> First off, there was no other things. We put eight more shocking things into the headline, but there was no, like, first thing. <laughs> Second, I'm pretty sure I found, like, a blog in Alaska that was like, she's a witch. And I was like, Sarah Palin's a witch. <laughs> Did you know that? I didn't know that. It's just the link is there. So that's that's what clickbait is. <laughs> What BuzzFeed? To be fair, I would click on that article in a heartbeat. Thank yeah. you, and that's true. But what BuzzFeed really tries to do is, I would almost coin the term as share bait. Um. Yeah. If you come into it, if you click it and you don't enjoy it, you're not going to share it, and that's works a hundred percent against what we're trying to get people to do. So for me, it's to draw people in, and then we're hoping that the what they end up with, if it's 26 goats that are going to make you cry, <laughs> they better be fucking 26 goats that have people in tears. Yeah. <laughs> because what we're actually looking for is they, I want to share. So it was really interesting because, so Kathleen and I, and we've mentioned this before, we know each other. Uh, and so she and I had a real back and forth about the headline because I wanted it to be like, how I didn't find a home for two decades. And she was like, what about just home? and and so we had a real real back and forth um well she's good with titles her last title danger of proximal alphabets she's great again great great, with literary titles i i swear to god i'm getting to my point you bring it you bring it back around to um her opening in the book Mm. and like that's the thing you're kind of like hey are you trying to tell people not even to start And so when we did settle on a headline for her piece, which I do hope everyone that's listening to this reads because it's beautiful. And we're going to link it on so many damnbooks.com. Perfect. So go go on the episode page so many damnbooks.com. It'll be linked right there. It's a really really good piece. And when we finally decided on something and I told her I was like, "Listen, there was a better headline." And she was like, "Yeah, I don't really care <laughs> about the like 20,000 views you lost." To like make it that, and so like, and to be honest, I disagree with her, mm-hmm. but like I respect her for it. And so this opening is just this like, hey, meet seven characters, meet seven characters, on one goddamn page. Yeah. So it's 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 a story, and it's told through almost like an accumulation of of character detail rather than plot. Yes, it's so character driven. And um and each character you you find like a a, a shut in. Uh, 
on their way to becoming a hoarder. You find a um, who's Adelaide. You have a, a, a stand-up comic who is depressed. You have an artist who is um, has had a, has had a stroke. Edith herself, the landlord, she uh, she is going in the early stages of Alzheimer's or dementia. And you also have Polly, who is who has what I thought was. So, autism or Asperger's, but it turns out to be called Williams syndrome. Yeah. Um, and I kept, I kept, it's one of these books that you, um, in each chapter, it sort of focuses on one of the people and then they start to connect more. But I kept wanting more Polly chapters. I just, I thought he was fascinating. And I think it's just, it's the same thing that makes you read Mark Haddon, like Curious Incident as a Dog of Nighttime or, or um, Marcello in the Real World by Francesco X. Start, Stork. Like these you just want to read these completely opposite ways of thinking. And she really found a way to talk about Polly with his Williams syndrome, which is something like autism, but it's there, there um, it's more outward. It's almost like if autism is the, is the introvert version of, it seems like Williams syndrome is the extrovert version. Yeah. Yeah. And she actually, she spoke with families who oh, had, wow. who were, yeah, she like did her research on that. And Which is it, it, you can feel it oh like yeah. on every yeah. single page. It that felt this very, is not just it's you. very very lived in. Yeah, and what's so interesting about it is if if you don't know that when you're reading it, it's so easy to just be like, what a wonderful made up disease. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is I like, I, and and I mean that with all due respect. Yeah, but it is this tragic. amazing. Yeah, this wonderfully tragic. Exactly. It's it, she made this wonderful character who's just so open. And so loving and so wonderful. And it's so easy to be like, oh, this is like a very convenient thing. Mm-hmm. And then you actually find out there are people that this is what they live with. And like what it means to have it. So she, she I think she talked to, to numerous people. I think it, she was inspired by, there's an NPR article or like not article, like oh. a piece mm-hmm. about a, a guy who had it, who tried to go out on his own. Huh. He tries to live his own. But, the, but like you were saying, the disease is basically just like, you're usually more attuned to beats. You're more attuned to music. Um, you're more attuned to other people's feelings, and you're really kind of just trying to make people happy. Yeah, mm. and which like what a what a wonderful thing for yeah. life. Mm. Like, but also, but also something you can I think you can uh, relate to without having it. Yeah, uh-huh. very much. Yeah. Almost, almost to a point of failure, right? I think there's sometimes we all have these moments where we wish we weren't trying so hard to make people happy, but it's just like what comes out of us and just imagine that nonstop. Anyways, I, I, I was fascinated by that character and you said you wanted more of him towards, towards the end. <sighs> yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I don't want to ruin anything for anybody, but holy smokes. Yeah. I mean, there's something, all of the characters really, there is... I just, yeah, it's just, it feels like, an, it feels like there's a novel in each of them. Yeah. yeah, and I think all three of us living in New York, mm-hmm. there is in a way that so often when people write a New York novel that has like a cavalcade of weird people who live in New York, they feel like capital letter weird people who live in New York. Whereas these are just like, they are in one way or another my neighbor. Like I have weird, wacky neighbors in my building. I don't know them. I, I don't live in a, a tiny building that has that kind of community. But I know that the same type of breadth of stories exist in every single building in New York. Mm-hmm. But Kathleen does such a good job of being like, "You, these are your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Like, if you knocked on their door, you would find these people living in your building. Or you're the, the ghost tenant who lives in this whole building. And I think that comes from a genuine... I think she moved... To, so she wrote this book when she moved to New York. And I think it came from a genuine want to understand the people around her <laughs> and to connect with them. Yeah. Because also New York can seem like this giant crazy place. Mm-hmm. And imagine if you actually, imagine, just imagine if you actually were friends with like your six neighbors. <sighs> it'd be it'd pretty be, cool. It'd be yeah. so chill. I do I do love how she says that it's somehow she, um, Edith chooses the people that are opening doors for each other, that like greet each other in the hallway. I've definitely lived very briefly but I definitely lived in a building like that before. And I think it's one of these things where 
maybe it's some maybe it is you live in a six unit building instead of a 60 like yeah. that's mm-hmm. a, that's the way that that gets but i i gotta say there's there's really nothing better than than knowing your neighbor it's something that is very and and enjoying their company i guess because mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess you can know your neighbor and and hate them yeah <laughs> and that's not great and it's funny it does it ties into um I was literally making all these grandstanding statements about the internet, mm-hmm. um, all of which I know Kathleen would actually disagree with, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the no, truth. No, if she's listening to this, she kno- she's nodding her head right now. She's like, "That's right, that's right." <laughs> no, uh, Adelaide, I felt like was her voice of. Pe- she's like, "I hate the internet," and here's someone who hates the internet. Adelaide, her character, is and she's like and it's her voice for that. It's so smart in this way where what she wants is she wants people. To connect and like we we're old enough i think to remember mm-hmm. yeah like what eight nine years old for you guys maybe pre-internet world and you did used to be like you would interact with people a lot more that were close by whereas now you get to interact with a lot of people that you love and again i am a p- very pro-internet person but you didn't interact with the people that were just next door because they were just next door right yeah. and that's to me that's, I mean, you know, many other people have a lot of different theories what the heart of this book is. But to me, the heart of this book is what does it mean to interact with your neighbor just because that's the person you can reach out to? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like their their interactions with Edith as she moves increasingly quickly into these stages of the end of her cognizant mental state. Mm-hmm. Like you know, she might live happily twenty more years, but her mind is starting to go. Mm-hmm. And the fact that all of them, in their own way, immediately like they just they reach out to her and they they know the way that they interact with her that's going to make her happy, even if she doesn't recognize who they are. Mm-hmm. That so was like, actually when I felt like I was going to love this book was in the very opening pages when she and. Um, and Thomas, who's had a stroke, um, are connecting. Yeah. And and she's just, just because he's a tenant in her building and she cares about him, she starts to leave him meals mm-hmm. outside of his door. And I was, th- these are things that just warm your, I mean, these this is warm your heart stuff of, of just like, that's, a, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. And I think that's important like that we talk about that actually, because I think people should know that this is a, it's a, in my opinion, a dark book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And things go to very incredible places. But it is also, it's almost like I want to live in that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like no matter what fucked up shit is happening to these characters, it's almost like I was like, I wish I had like a seventh apartment. Like I wish I could be in there. I could help change things um, for the better or for the worse. Uh, let's talk about just sentences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she had this in her first book, too. I would argue that the first book, I love it. It's very much a debut novel, though. I think it's, they're, they're like this, a lot of like wonderful things happening, mm-hmm. but maybe you're not sure why. But this book, it had, both books, right? They had the sentence, like both, like, we can agree with that, whether, what whatever you love, the fucking sentence structure the beauty the attention to detail yeah um which was so strong in her first book is like on display and like adelaide is just like it's almost like it's it's like a uh what's the word i'm looking for it's almost like like somebody like pointing at the bleachers before knocking a home run, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, she's like, look at what I'm going to do with this. And, like, and because the attention to detail in every single small little object is so loved and so cared for in the way that it's written, and it's really impressive. There's I, something... Yeah. No, we're, yeah. I was going to say, I could read a really crappy, uh, yet still very well-written, don't get me wrong, but funny story from the back that's actually my own. Oh, There's yeah? actually a story of mine in there. Okay. Yeah, please do. <laughs> It was such a delight to discover it while reading, while at the same time... She didn't tell you? No, that's the funny thing, is I realized that's her way. Like, I have to read so many books, right? Mm -hmm. And I get sent a lot of books, sometimes by people I know. I got to, like, read this point, and I I was like, what the fuck is this? And she's like, well, now I know you read the book. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, this this is happening more and more for you now, I bet, that you're reading friends' books rather than just a person's book. Yeah, well, I mean, this gets this gets into a very weird thing. It gets into a very weird thing that I, I, I think if you care about books and you want to cover books, you are in the literary culture. Uh-huh. And what does it mean to cover the writing of people you love? Yeah. And for me, what it really boils down to, uh, I did talk about Kathleen's book, but I put a big, fat disclaimer at the beginning of it. Um, and I try my best actually not to. I usually assign. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that you don't even know, like, maybe the person you're assigning to has like different like you there's no way of actually knowing right and so what i have to trust on and this is probably naive of me but i trust on honesty mm. it's the same thing that i have to trust on on my book recs and this i mean it really ties back into what i believe my job is i want to be the guy that's like hey man you should read this yeah and if i say that and you think the book sucks then that's a failure Mm-hmm. So, like, really what it comes down to is this kind of thing that I, as self-analyzation, like, I'm never going to recommend a book that I don't think is good. And, of course, like, that's, I mean, that's the difference. There's a nuance with books, um, what some people like and what some people don't. So what I try to do is try to be as honest and open as I possibly can. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm a fucking fan. Mm-hmm. Like, I just love them. <laughs> I grew up. Like my parents fighting and like me hiding under a goddamn table reading a book. Like it's like you could cut away if there was a movie, like you could shoot that scene and like it'd be a really nice, powerful scene. But that was my childhood. And this is why like I love them. So it's important to me not to fuck it up. Yeah. So that's like it does happen. It's mm-hmm. still I mean, it will still happen. Roxanne Gay. Like I've worked with her a ton. Cheryl Strayed. I've worked with her a ton. Um, there are authors out there that I definitely know. And I do my best to keep myself out of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you guys know this too. Mm-hmm. Like you, what book do you choose? Who do you choose to come on your podcast? Who have you met? Like it's, it's, an all, it's all part of the game. And what you can really trust is whether you think you're talking about something that's fucking worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what's important. And I and I gotta thank you uh, just to sort of wrap up the a little bit this discussion of uh, of Infinite Home by Kathleen Alcott. I just gotta thank you for cheerleading this one because it's excellent. And I probably wouldn't have checked it out if you hadn't told us to read it. So this is I'm gonna I'm I'm finding it right now. I'm finding it right now. I oh, you promise. found the thing. Claude sighed Edward as though he had filled this role his whole life. There is no shame in meeting the expectations of the people around you. In being dependable, please take this earnestly from someone who once blacked out and pissed all over someone's bedroom and tried to not clean his mess but absorb it by shaking baby powder everywhere. Claudia put a hand over her face. Her four and middle fingers parted so that she offered her distaste and amusement to Edward with one eye. So that's a, that's one of your oh, stories. Oh, I peed all over the place, bros. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, that, that story. I remember reading that and being like, gross. "Nice." I, I think I thought gross. <laughs> <laughs> the two things I don't think are mutually exclusive. <laughs> nice, gross. <laughs> So we ask uh, everybody that comes on the show and us every week, what do you recommend people read? Let's start with Isaac. Okay. One book, not two. Really? Two. Well, three. up to two. Up to up three. Up to three. We're going to give you three. Yeah. Do you want to take a minute and come no, back? No, 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 no. I want to... Three books. Is it like just, just three books that you love that you think people should read now? Absolutely. They don't have to be new either. They can yeah. be Got whenever. It. Got it. Um, I'm going to do three books from this year of our Lord, 2015. Great. And I think everyone, 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 everyone should read The Sellout by Paul Beatty. Before, before he continues really quick, you should, 
the the listener should know he actually grabbed the mic stand like with one fist <laughs> like he's so excited this is like now this is his time this is his rock star moment this is what i'd love to do and then once i'm done i'm gonna point the microphone at the audience and there's just a huge applause just joking we're in an empty apartment um <laughs> nice uh paul Beatty, the sellout absolutely um i don't think there's a funnier more important well-written book right now uh and 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 more important to what's happening in the in the culture and in the country uh and i fucking everyone like and not only should you read it you should put it in the hands of your friends you should once you're done with it give your copy to your grandmother like just Mm. try and spread it like that's i think this sellout could could be like a game changer and everyone should do it the next book i would say is delicious foods by james hanahan which is so important when it comes to what we consume and what it means for us as people that maybe don't acknowledge uh the economic difference between those that harvest food those that help get food like you walk into a grocery you see like 200 heads of lettuce and you don't think anywhere about where it comes from on top of that the characters in delicious foods are just so well done james hanahan is uh, i want to just say unique but but i also want to he's unique in his ability to make unique characters. That's why James mm-hmm. Hanahan is unique in his ability to make unique characters. Uh, and then my third book is, you know, other outside of the book that we were talking about, um, Alexandra Kleeman. And it's funny because we're kind of following this thread. Uh, you too can have a body like mine is the weirdest book you will read this year. It's something truly original. It's truly unique. But to follow that thread, it's also about consumption. It's also about what we put into ourselves and how we portray ourselves. So that would be it. The Sellout by Paul Beatty, James Hanahan's Delicious Foods, and You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine by Alexandra Kleeman. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. I just Everything I hear about that Kleeman book just makes me more and more and more excited. Do you want to go next, Drew? Sure. Um I've got two. One, sort of following off of all three of those books that Isaac just recommended, a book called Who We Be by Jeff Chang. Um, he's He teaches at Stanford. He's an essayist. Uh, he's written a lot about hip-hop. But he wrote a book, and this, this book, Who We Be, is about culture and race in America from roughly like the late 50s to the present day. And it's part uh, educational, just like very diving into things in like a, a very smart way, but then also coming from the side and sort of being like, this is how all of it applies to today for those of you who are not in a college setting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really smart. I read it for work and ended up just going crazy for it. Um, the other book, also, we're three white males sitting yeah. in a room. You would recommend it for three white males sitting in a room. I, yeah, read. it's one of those books I recommend for anybody. There it is. <laughs> um, for more of the three white males spectrum. Although, also, I guess for anybody. Yeah. Um, Among the 10,000 Things by Julia Pierpont, which is like, on the surface, it is, it's a new book. It came out this summer. It's very much just like a traditional... Oh, with the blurry... Yeah, like it's a marriage falling apart. Two kids, they live on the Upper West Side. They're like a wealthy, the guy is an artist. The wife um, used to be, I think, an actress or something like artistic. And they've come together. They have two kids. Turns out the husband has been having an affair with a younger woman. They got a box of documents that like is all of the emails and Snapchats and stuff. And it starts out very ordinary. And in the middle of the book, she pulls this like Virginia Woolf to the lighthouse time jump and then comes back to the present. Like the time jump being in the middle of the book just blew my mind. And it made me the investment in the rest of the book, knowing what was coming, but also now just ha- it just temporally displaced me in a really beautiful way. Hmm. 
Christopher? Awesome. I'm going to recommend two things as well, very quickly. Um, I'm going to recommend a, a young adult novel um, called I'll Give You the Sun by Jandine Nelson. Uh, it's about a, a twin brother and sister, and they're both dealing with a trauma. And it's a, a another excellent time jump book where the the sister is telling the story from, I think, three years further on than the brother who's three years behind. Whoa. And so you're watching as, as their psyches are different uh, from this thing. And it's, um, it's one of these, I, if I made a good reads list of books that made me re made me cry on a train. Uh, I think I just broke down crying at the end. <laughs> and, um, uh, Kirsten asked me, why are you crying? And I was just like, she just earned her happy ending. <laughs> uh, and then I'm going to recommend this very odd, like freaky fiction book by this, uh, by Stanley Crawford. It came out in uh, 1989. And this book is called The Log of the SS, the Mrs. Unguentine, U-N-G-U-E-N. T I N E, and it's a, a it starts with her husband jumping overboard and drowning by his own accord, and then you realize that she's on this barge, which is sort of like almost like an Adam and Eve Adam and Eve Garden of Eden barge that they've planted a bunch of trees on, and they've been living on it where she hasn't actually seen land for ten years. Wow! And it's this bizarre book told in tiny chapters about her life and their life before and after and uh it's honestly one of the strangest things i've ever read it's only like 150 pages go out and buy it now 1989 yeah where do you find it is it it's out yeah no it it got it got reprinted with a ben marcus uh forward yeah okay yeah so that's the recommendation this week Isaac Fitzgerald, thank you so much. Yeah, for man, coming on the guys, show. I can't thank you guys enough. I love what you guys do, and thank God, up up books, up the books, all the yeah. books. Yeah, yeah, cool. And uh, next time, do we even know what we're reading next year?